John chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 1 uh, to verse 16. It says, After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, and Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured. It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, for these stories that give us glimpses of you. And Father, we want to grow in our knowledge of you. We want to go deeper. We want to be fully confident, Lord, in our, and, and, and not in ourselves, but in you. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, and how to grow and how to realize how good you are and how worthy you are of our trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Here is a man, a suffering man. Now, when we think of trials, we think of trials usually, and we want trials that maybe last an hour. We want trials that maybe last a week or, or a month, but we don't like to think of difficulties that go on for years. And here's a man that was paralyzed for 38 years a man suffering, and a man that was suffering because of sin. Now, the question is, what sin? Ultimately, there are three possible sins that we can suffer from. We all suffer from the effects of sin upon the human race. We all suffer from that. In other words, we have 
illnesses. We there's hardships. We get betrayed. We we have earthquakes. We have um, tornadoes. We have hurricanes. We have pandemics. We have all these things, and all these things are a part of living in a fallen world. When God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit lest they die, the moment they ate, it's kind of the, the, light, the, the way that I like to describe it is when Darth Vader senses the Luke Skywalkers around and he says, I feel trouble in the force. Something happened that couldn't be understood. But we don't just suffer from the effects of things, how they are in the world, the fallen world that we live in. We also suffer from the sin that has affected other people. In other words, have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been stolen from? Have you ever been lied to? Have you ever been uh, abused? I mean, we, sometimes you suffer from other people's sin. The greed, the malice, the abuse of others. But there's a third way that we can suffer as well, which is suffering from our own sin, from our own decisions. You know, sometimes in a split decision, we can be in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing, and we suffer because of that for years on end. I, I think my, my, my mom is actually here today and, I, and I, she reminded me yesterday of my friend Mario. And I thought, my goodness, I could have been there. But, uh, but Mario um, met a woman who said, listen, I, I, if you kill my husband, I will give you $5,000. And so he got in the car with another one of my friends and, and, and another one that I didn't know. And they went and while he was sleeping in the middle of the night, they killed him. My friend was arrested with my other friend. One was given life in prison. The other one was executed by lethal injection. My friend was. I thought, my goodness, I could have been in that car. I could have been the getaway guy. I could have been driving, not knowing what was happening, and that happens, and spend the rest of my life in prison. But Mario, he didn't suffer because of other people's sin. He didn't suffer just because of sin in the world, but he, sinned be he, he suffered because of what he did. He became a Christian before he was executed, but nevertheless, it was his own. I think sometimes we blame God for things that we ourselves have made poor choices in. But my question today is, if God is a God of love, why do we suffer like we do? You see, God created this world perfect without unhappiness, without sickness, without jealousy, without envy, no heartaches, no death. All our trouble is a result of sin entering this world. Just think of the moment they ate, then all of a sudden Cain and Abel, Cain became jealous of Abel and there was the first murder. But are our actions so bad? Am I not a good person? 
And the Bible knows nothing. Guys, listen to this. The Bible knows nothing of a superficial view of sin. It is difficult if we look, because sometimes we don't want to look, but if we look, it is difficult to see the stuff that's going on in this world. I mean, Steph is sharing today. It's not so much these girls having to be there and she, her heart breaks over a girl that for the first time has to prostitute herself. But what about the mafias behind? I mean, when you look at it, it is an ugly place we're living in. The pain, the evil, the wars. It is difficult to even see our own hearts and our own capabilities. There was a man who was in India and he, um, he saw a beautiful woman naked just across the river. And he began to just swim towards her and thinking, who's going to know? I'm away from my wife. I'm away from friends. Nobody knows who I am here. I'm just going to go for it. And he's swimming exactly towards it. He's getting closer. And, he get, and as he gets closer, he gets horrified. And as he, gets, he steps his feet upon the shore, he looks at her and says, what a monster. She was a leper eaten away by leprosy. And then he had a voice coming back to him. No, what a monster you are. Difficult to see the effects of sin on the ones we love. Difficult to deal with the pain of sin. Seeing a loved one, seeing a child addicted to heroin or, or whatever it is. It's just difficult to see. But listen, the Bible knows nothing of a superficial view of sin. It, it is deep. It permeates us. Job said it like this, I repent in dust and ashes. Peter said to Jesus, depart from me. For I am a sinful man. And then afterwards denied him and he went away and wept bitterly, brokenhearted. At the view of who he is or who he was. Jesus had to tell John, you don't know what spirit you're of. When he was saying, should we just destroy the Samaritans? Jesus said, Man, I didn't come to, con uh, to destroy men's lives. I came to build them. Isaiah, after spending a good amount of years saying, woe to them, woe to them, woe to them, woe to them, woe to them. In the year that he saw King Uzziah die, he says, oh no, woe is me. And he saw his own. Everybody knows, at least at one point or another, the plague of their own heart. And Paul he began, obviously, as an enemy of Jesus. And when he became a Christian, he began by saying, I am the least of the apostles. Then a few years later, he says, I am the least of the saints. And then he said, I am the chief of sinners. Gra you know, progressively, I think as we become Christians, we begin to realize how insufficient we are, how rebellious we can be, and how good God is. <laughs> The Bible shows us the deep, grave problem of sin, but shows us our need for a great Savior. 
And here's this man. He is helpless. He is hopeless because of sin in the world. And he says this. He says these words, I have no man to help me. I have no man to help me. I think one of the greatest things that can happen to us is when not only do we get to the end of ourselves, but we get to the end of what any man can do. And let me say this with utter confidence. God is in the business of making us non-dependent on ourselves or people and very dependent on him. Here's this man, helpless. He's in a fallen world with a sickness. The sickness could have been because of what he did, because Jesus said to him, sin no more, lest the worst thing happen to you. But also he's suffering from the sin of other people that not one person and I don't know how many years he was there, but not one person got up and said, you know, today's your day. I'm going to bring you to the water. Not one person, everybody for themselves. But God is in the business, not for us to get upset with people, but he's in the business of bringing us away from ourselves to depend upon him in salvation. Jesus uh, said to disciples, unless you can make a camel go through the eye of a needle, and then, and then they saw this rich man, he says, who then, the disciple goes, who then can be saved? If this guy who, who is blessed cannot be saved, who then can be saved? They reached the end of themselves, the end of their expectations. And then Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God in salvation how in the world does a person become a Christian you cannot change their minds you cannot change their hearts you cannot change their wills or our wills think of us the way it happened is God intervened ask my mom she's here today I stole money from her I had parties in the house when she was in, in uh, I'm glad my son's not here, when she was in California. You know what I mean? And, and, and when I became a Christian, she's like, what in the world happened to you? What in the world has happened? She was shocked. She was praying. She just didn't think it happened that much. But in salvation, but then we think that in salvation, yes, what's impossible with man is possible with God. But listen, I find that that happens in life. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 and 8. And I, want, I wish that you guys would just highlight this stuff. He says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, said that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from such a great death and does deliver us and in whom we trust that he will still deliver us in the future. That's 2 Corinthians 1.8. 
And look what he's saying. He's like, I, it was so bad. It was beyond measure, above strength. We couldn't handle it anymore. And he dissects why. He says, so that we should not rely in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And he says this, and we learn the lesson that he delivers. But not only deli he delivered us in the past, he's delivering us from everything in the present. And he will deliver us in everything in the future. What, a, what an amazing attitude to life to have. In Acts 27, 20, when they, when they were going to Rome, the Lord had said to them, hey, we're going to Rome. You are going to testify before Caesar. And he's on his way to Rome. And you would think that it would be, if God's called you, it's going to be smooth sailing, right? Now, when God calls, it's got to be smooth. Oh, no, no, no. They're called to go to Rome. They embark on that journey, paid by the government. And then he says in Acts 27, 20, Now when there was neither sun nor stars for many days, and no small tempest beat upon us, all hope that we should be saved was lost. They lost all hope that they would be saved. And then Paul says, But an angel of the God whom I serve appeared to me last night. And he said that if we stay in here, everything's going to go well. But again, they're bringing, he's bringing them away from trusting themselves into trusting God. But listen, this is an exercise for life. You're not going to go, you are not going to go to the gym and do a full-on workout unless you start at the gym with smaller weights, with smaller distances, and you begin to work out. And as you work out in the gym, in the, in, uh, with a coach, then you will realize that your endurance, your resistance will continue to grow. Well, listen, we are all being trained. We are all being trained for the ultimate delivery, which is that they hear this, it's going to, I'm going to prophesy. It's going to happen to all of you. No, no, no. It is the day you breathe your last breath on earth. That day's coming. One day, you will either be suddenly or in weakness or gradually, but you will breathe your last breath. And in that day, you dare not have any confidence in yourself, but in God who raises the dead. I just this morning, I was talking, who was I talking to this morning? Um, oh, Simone. Bart said to Simone a few weeks ago, you've got to get to, to Holland. Your, your dad is not going to last long. She went over there and she, said, he's, he's, she says that she wasn't there, but her, her sister was with the dad when he passed away. She had spent a wonderful couple of weeks with him and uh, she was still in Holland, but not with him in that moment. And, and she says that, in, I mean, this is a guy who loved Jesus, a guy who was expecting Jesus to come. And in that moment, he was in an induced coma and the sister says she opened up his eyes and they were bluer than she had ever seen them. And she, he smiled as, he, as if he was seeing something that she wasn't seeing. And he breathed her lot, his last. And I was like, oh, wow. And I, I remember we had a guy here at church, Fred. He says, something hit me, Raph. It hit me like nothing ever hit me before. And it was death. And then one day, we, he was in an induced coma, and the doctor said he can't hear you, he, he can't react. And we got around the, the, the bed, and we sang 
his favorite song, which was my favorite song, they always sang, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And in that moment, Fred, in an induced coma, who couldn't hear, who couldn't react, lifted up his hands in worship. But listen, guys, the training of weaning ourselves from trusting in ourselves to trusting in God is for life, but it's for dying. It's for death. The problem we have is worse than we can imagine. But the solution God has provided is bigger than we can dream. And the Bible knows no, nothing of a superficial view of sin, but the Bible also knows very little of a superficial view of grace. His grace is powerful. It's abounding. It's big. And you're like, oh my goodness, my sin is so big. Man, your sin is big. It is huge. But it's like a little castle in Santa Ponsa Beach, a sand castle. And all of a sudden, a tsunami comes like it's, like it's expected. They're expecting a huge tsunami that could actually sweep through the island if, a, if the, one of the biggest volcanoes in Italy would blow up. Good news, huh? And... Uh, and, and, but imagine the tsunami comes and, and you're there with your sin, your, your little sandcastle on Santa Ponsa Beach and the tsunami comes and it sweeps through Santa Ponsa and it goes right through to Palma and it goes right through to Randa and it goes right through to Manacor and it goes right and comes out of the lighthouse in Calarajada and above Formentor. I mean, what is the likeness of your sin in the light of that? I mean, that's how big his grace is. Listen. It's not just grace to cover, but it's also grace to transform. Jesus said to this guy, take up your mat and walk. But let's look at some of the things that Jesus does here. His grace is greater. How? Well, listen, I have no man. But here is the God man. The God who created everything comes to humanity comes to Israel, goes to this pool of Bethesda, and as he goes to Bethesda, and he sees this man. Nobody else noticed him, but Jesus saw him. And it reminded me of what the Lord said to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. The Lord said to Hezekiah, I have seen your tears. And one of the most disheartening things in our life as Christians, as we're being trained up to grow in confidence, not great faith in a little God, but little faith in a great God. As we begin to grow in this, one of the things that happens, one of the doubts that comes into our hearts is that God doesn't see what we are going through. He sees each prayer. He sees each pain. He sees each wave that you feel of the pain and he sees each tear. And the Lord says to you and to me, no matter what place in life you are at, no matter what trials, no matter what suspense you are going through at the moment, the anguish, the grief, the fear, the sickness, etc., Jesus sees it. No matter what's been done to you in the past, 
that you can just not overcome and you seem to not be able to find forgiveness. Maybe you've been wrestling with this for years. Jesus sees it. But it's one thing to see. I would imagine that everybody saw this man in that place for 30, in that situation for 38 years. They saw him. But it's one thing to see. The other thing is, do people care? But notice, Jesus didn't just see this man. He cared for this man. Jesus never sees one of his people in distress or affliction that he doesn't have compassion on and help. It might be longer. The difficulty might be longer than we imagine. And that sometimes can take the, the energy, the encouragement out of us, no? Sometimes it might be a, an illness. It might be a, a job. It might be uh, an infertility. It might be uh, a depression. And then you're praying and you're, and you're seeking. And, and maybe you thought God would have answered already. For this man, it was 38 years in that situation. Maybe you have an expectation of how God should answer. Huh? Not only that, sometimes it's just like, we, don't only, we, we love to pray directive prayers, Lord, and I want you to do it like this and like this and like this and like this and like that. And in Jesus' name, amen. But then the answer comes completely different than we ever thought. I mean, sometimes we love these spectacular miracles, which are, are, are great, like the parting of the sea. You just think to yourself, I mean, if I could have been there and if I could have just seen the sea parted. But you know what? When they plotted to kill Paul, when he was in Jerusalem trapped and they tried to kill him and they put him in prison and they vowed that they were not going to drink or eat until they killed him, the miracle was not so spectacular. The miracle was actually his nephew heard the conversation of the plot and he went and he said, this is going to happen. So the answer was not, I mean, he could have said, release me like you released Peter from prison through an angel. But the releasing didn't come in the same way that Peter was released from prison through an angel, through the opening of the gates, through going to a prayer meeting. My goodness, that's dramatic. No, it came through a little boy hearing a conversation and going and finding the solution and saying to the, to the centurion, hey, they're going to kill him. And he says, we're going to get him out of here by night. That was just as much of a miracle. That was just as much as an answer to prayer. And it came completely different than they expected. But he cares. It might take longer than we think. It might come differently than we think. And it might even come in a way that we don't even realize it's Jesus doing it. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that this man was made well and he didn't even know that it was Jesus? And we might get an answer and we think like, well, there wasn't the Lord. Oh, yes, it was the Lord. But all I want to say with this and, I, and I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis. He says, when he was converted from, uh, athe from agnosticism to theism, not a Christian yet, he said this, oh, the divine humility. The Lord is so humble. And then, he, and then he says this, the hardness of God is softer than the kindness of man. Here, nobody would help this man, but God did. 
And what did God do? How did he do it? How did he show this amazing grace? He drew near to him. He drew close. He comes. And just think of sometimes one of the greatest things I think that we can experience in our difficulties is to just experience in our difficulties the presence of God. His nearness. He is not the God. As a matter of fact, there's a quote that says, Islam teaches God above us. Judaism teaches God with us. Christianity teaches God above us, God with us, and God in us. The intimacy, the beauty of walking with God, no matter what. He draws near. I don't have a man to help me. No, no, no. But you have God who came in the flesh drawing near to you himself. That is incredible. God has left heaven to come down for you. Notice that the solution came in a way that we talked about that, that he wasn't expecting. You see, he expected to be healed by being immersed into that pool. And God used a whole different method. Now, here's the story. What's the purpose of the story? What's the purpose of the story? The purpose, the answer to the purpose of this story is to be found in John 20, 30 through 31. Jesus performed, John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of this miracle. John's purpose in writing is that the readers might believe. Believe what? Believe how? And why believe? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Believe that Jesus, that God came in a way unexpected to us? That while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us? And believe because in his name, we will have eternal life. Now, eternal life is not just longevity of life. Like Martin Luther King Jr. said, it, I, I, we all want longevity of life, but I, you know, I, I'm, I must do the will of God. But, but realizing that it's not just merely longevity of life. If we are to live forever, getting older and older, that sucks. If we are to live forever sick and in pain in a world of sin, that sucks. The beauty is when we can live forever with a quality of life. Jesus said this, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. Knowing him is eternal life. So we looked at the confession of sin, but believe, but the, the, the faith, it produced, I mean, so, so, so there's this thing that happens to us where we come to believe. And then there's not only a confession of sin, but there's a confession, a revelation, a growing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Peter says this in 2 Peter, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. 
So when you look at the Gospels, you notice that there's a process of belief. Emphasis on the process. And that process of belief, is a, it's not more faith. It's a more intimate and greater knowledge of who the Lord is. A realization of the greatness of Jesus, a work of the Spirit of God in the life of the people and in the life of his disciples. You see that Jesus picked the disciples, but they weren't fully aware of who he was. You see, it's a process, no? And sometimes we become Christians and we just think that we should be like Abraham. We should be perfectly, I mean, we just have this incredible faith. So we just have a lot of faith in a very little God and we got to work ourselves up to have a lot of faith. But that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is to grow in the grandeur of who Jesus is and to put our trust in him as it grows. And you see it, woe to you. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and you see it in the life of Abraham. God calls Abraham. And you know, Abraham, the father of faith, really? Do you realize that he didn't leave his family like God had asked him to do initially? Do you realize that when he finally left his family, he lied because of unbelief? You realize that God promised him a child and then he had a child through Hagar and not through Sarah? You realize that afterwards he actually lied again because he was afraid for his life? I mean, here's the father of faith. But what was happening to him? What was happening to him is he was growing in his knowledge of the Lord. The Lord is my shield. And he had those moments of exercising trust and confidence, but he had those moments of weakness. And what he had to do is those weaknesses were not strengthening, strengthened by trying harder. Those weaknesses were strengthened by knowing God better. So Peter and walking with Jesus at one point, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, hey, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But my father is in heaven revealed that to you. But then he didn't know the cross. He didn't know the resurrection. He didn't know the glorification. He didn't know the coming of Jesus. He didn't know any of that. He still had to grow into that. You see, Thomas, my Lord and my God, after he put his hands in his side, and then before, when he went to see Lazarus, he said, Lord, let's go over to Lazarus so we can die. You see this unbelief, you see this skepticism, but all that went away, not as he tried harder, but as he, get, as he got to know God better. The thief at the cross. Poor guy, I mean, he had no self-confidence. All he could say is, this man has done nothing wrong. We get what we deserve, but it was a, he realized in that moment that there was a purity about him, there was a grandeur about Jesus, and that he had the ability to receive him into his kingdom. And it's the same with us. The Holy Spirit leads us, he illuminates us, and shows us the greatness of Jesus. And he'll lead your life today, tomorrow, Next week, next month, next year, you will grow 
and your knowledge of God more and more. So you get to a point where Loretta, we got a phone call from a friend that was diagnosed with cancer. Loretta goes over to see her and she and the uh, Louise says to Loretta, Loretta, I haven't walked with the Lord for 40 years to doubt him now. We've been through too much together. There's a friendship. There's a knowledge of who the person is. So how do we need to believe? We use the word faith. We use the word belief in many ways. Sometimes you meet people and say, I have my faith. Or I believe so. so. We believe certain things in life. But sometimes with no real implication. When I became a Christian, there was a real popular illustration back in those days. And you might have heard it before. But there was... They always asked you to imagine that you went to the Niagara Falls and that there was a big, um, a big, uh, what a a line to walk. What are those called? The balance things. And, um, and they say, okay, there's this man with a wheelbarrow and he's got it full of rocks and he goes across the whole Niagara Falls on this wire. And everybody's just like, oh my goodness, you are just amazing. And he comes back with it. And then he's got his buddy with him and he says, and he goes, get on. And he goes, okay. So he gets on and he walks across and he walks with him back. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, this guy's amazing. Now then they say, okay, you get on. It's a different thing to know that somebody can do something. It's another thing for you to be used to see if they can do it. And in our lives, stuff like that's going to happen. We know the Lord. And there's going to be challenges in our life that come because, and we're going to suffer because of sin in the world. We're going to be suffering sometimes because of our own sin. Sometimes we're going to suffer a lot because of other people's sin. But you know what? When we see God's grace and when we see God's wisdom and we see God's ability, we're able to realize, you know what? He can walk that line. And he's able and I can trust him. It's not just to think, it's not just to observe, but it's actually to trust. To trust that he loves us. Sometimes to trust what he says about us. You know, I, did, I was thinking as you were sharing about the girls on the street, and it's not a matter of that's so sinful. It's a matter of my goodness, if they would realize, and I, I, you know, actually this happened to me. Um, I was in Cuba and I, I was asked to do, uh, share my testimony with, with uh, it was a big conference and with some youth. And so we started by telling the stories and then this, she must've been 17 years old, 18 year old uh, girl who prostituted herself. And she just came out right there crying And I just looked at her and I says, you are the princess of Jesus. And she cried. 
And I said, and you're so loved. And he will never use you. And he will never harm you. And she just cried and we prayed together. We got around her. She was loved. She left it forever. What happened? It was a realization of who she is to Jesus. Trusting what he has to say about us, who, who we are, the value we have to him. Trust that he has provided for us. Trust sometimes in the way forward. Sometimes we love to just manipulate our way forward. But trust that he knows. Trust for, for his provision. Trust for his provision of love relationships, of finances. Even for health of mind. And why believe? And I'm closing here. Why believe? John in the last verse we read, in the context of this man being made well, notice this man is paralyzed for 38 years and all of a sudden he picks up his mat and he walks. He's got energy. He's got vigor. He's able to get around. Jesus has had compassion on him. And, Jesus, and, and John says, I write these things that you may know that Jesus is the, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ and that in believing you may have life in his name. And 1.4 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. In, in, uh, in 3.16 it says, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should ha- not perish but have everlasting life. In 5.24 here in these verses, it says, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And Jesus, in chapter 11, verse 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And chapter 14, verse 6 is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is here today offering you, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to fight in your mind? Do you want to fight in your prejudices? Do you want to fight in your expectations and that it's been too long, that so-and-so has done that to you, that so-and-so has done that to you? Oh, that, yeah, you did it to yourself, but you make excuses. Or maybe this world, if God is a God of world of love, how in the world can he allow all these things? All these things that you think about. The question is, Jesus comes and he draws near and he draws with grace and he asks you the question, do you want to be made well? do you want spiritual life I tell you it was crazy I didn't understand anything of the gospel and one day I prayed to receive the Lord and all of a sudden I was a believer life instantly do you want eternal life do you want a quality of life that never dies Do you want an indestructible life like the Apostle Paul? I know that neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Do you want a quality of life where there's love, where there's joy, where there's peace, where there's gratefulness, where there is life in Jesus? And I'm going to ask us all, to bow our heads 
And maybe you're here and you have walked with the Lord and you got discouraged thinking it was all about what you had to do. Maybe you're here today and you knew nothing of it. And you're like, what in the world am I doing here? Maybe you've seen religiosity and you've seen horrible things in the name of God. Trust me, in the next few weeks, we will see the Pharisees, the people that were supposed to honor God, do worse things than you've experienced. They hated the Son of God. But let's bow our heads. And Father, I just want to ask, because I believe, Lord, I believe that you see you care, you come near, you save, and sometimes you even rescue us without even knowing that it was you for, for, for a while. And I just want to pray, Lord, no nonsense, just that you would do those things for the individuals here. Is it? Maybe it's someone in a great trial been praying for years. And their expectations and the actions of others have discouraged them. Maybe it's, it's, it's someone that's a Christian and they expected to have all the faith and they just don't know you that well and, and that they would be touched by you and realize that it's a journey, that it's a life, it's a life of progression, a life of exploration, a life of revelation. And that our faith will fail, but you never fail. Ali. Maybe it's somebody that sees their own sin so grave, so big. While others have a superficial view of it, he knows the depths of his own heart and he realized that you could not, he thinks you could not possibly or she love him. That there's no hope. I pray that today nobody would live here today without realizing that sin is great, but your grace is greater. The life is tough, but your love heals much deeper. That this, in a sense, that we haven't really experienced life until we've met you. That it's just a mere existence. And Lord, just like this man was healed without knowing who you were, realized who you were, and then I'm sure realized that you would die for him. That you would rise for him that you were sent for him and that he could breathe his last breath with confidence, with confidence. Like the apostle Paul who said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live the life I now live. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. And if you're here and you have a sense of that, I pray that I ask you to, to ask the Lord personally. You don't have to do it out loud. Just in your heart, just say, Lord, 
I didn't realize these things. Will you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Would you help me? Would you save me? Would you grow me? Would you put a hope and a trust in you that excels, that surpasses this life? Could you help me to experience your goodness, your grace, your intimacy? Just take a one, just 20 seconds of silence and pray this in your heart. And Father, we want to have confidence in you. Nobody, no bank, no person, no job can be trusted like you can be trusted. And Father, I want to grow in a way that I can go anywhere, do anything with anything or with nothing. Realizing that you will always be worthy of our trust, even if things don't go like we thought. That when we look back, we'll realize that no one does things as perfect as you do. Lord, grow us. In Jesus' name, amen.